Turn over to Psalm chapter 23. And just want to say thank you for having us here this morning. Thank you to Pastor Nate for the opportunity to share about the class. And then when he came down sick, he asked if I would preach as well, which I'm very, very glad to do, very thankful for that. It's been a blessing to be here. We've, we've loved being here at Beaumont. Um, we've sort of been at several different churches, kind of getting to know people, and, uh, but the times we've been here have always been a blessing, and, and thank you for that. I, 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 Pastor Nate and I actually go way, way back, I don't know, what would it be, like 15 years or something, and, and uh, Brittany and my wife were very good friends in college, Nate and I were very good friends, so when Megan and I came together, we're married, and then Nate and Brittany came together and were married, it's like, oh, this is, this is great, you know, we're just... Kind of like uh, <laughs> good way back. I my I think one of my earliest memories of Nate, um, we sort of had a mutual friend, and I remember he was on an opposing team in soccer, and I just remember him going flying past me and scoring um, on the on the soccer field. That's one of my earliest memories of him. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's a blessing to be here this morning, and thank you for having us. Um, we've come this morning to the twenty third Psalm, which is maybe one of the most familiar passages. In all of Scripture, um, I remember when I was uh, younger. I grew up in Australia as a missionary kid there, and my my dad preached a funeral for a family. the The lady came to our church and was saved, but no one else in the family was saved. They were probably as far from God as you could get. Um, just never darkened the door of a church. But we showed up to the funeral, and the family requested that the twenty third Psalm be read at the funeral. They knew really nothing about God, probably had never been a church in their life, but they knew of the 23rd Psalm. Um, and, and we come to this Psalm, I think, because we find comfort here. Um, a couple of years ago, one of the pastors at the church that we were attending passed away. Um, he was probably in his 70s, maybe 80s. Um, he had cancer, and the Lord, the Lord took him home. But he shared his testimony with the church before the Lord took him home. Um, he was, I think, in his 30s, a little bit older, um, in life, and uh, his wife was expecting a baby, so they went into the hospital, um, and things just went really wrong, and his, his baby boy actually ended up dying, and his wife almost died. It was, it was pretty serious, and so she was kind of in the hospital recuperating and resting, and he was just broken, so he got in his car, and he just started driving. Um, you know, he ended up parking by a cemetery, got out, just started walking through and just reading the tombstones, and as he's walking along, just really lost, you know, not, not even sure what, what life's all about or how to process any of this. And he, he turned and he looked, and there was a tombstone there. And on it was written these words, the Lord is my shepherd. And he said in that moment, everything just fell into place for him. All of a sudden, he realized, that's my problem. I don't have a shepherd. And, and that day, he actually turned to Christ as a result of seeing that little verse on a, on a tombstone. And when I, when I look at this psalm, just looking at the first line there, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I think there's one word there that really captures what Pastor Tipton came to realize that day and what David is trying to communicate in this psalm. Somebody look at the, the first line of the psalm. What, what do you think is, is the one word, it's a little word, that captures the specialness of what he's trying to communicate that's really the heart of it? I, I don't know about you, but I think it's the word my, right? In that word is captured the personal relationship that he has with this shepherd. And that's what he's trying to communicate to us in this psalm. And when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, it's, there's almost like an implied question in that. 
You know, if we put the if we put the special word at the beginning of the line, I think you can hear the question. If you say, "My shepherd is the Lord," the implied question is, "Who is your shepherd?" Right? It's like the little kid who says, "Well, my daddy's a fireman," and the implied question is, "Well, what does your daddy do?" Right? And that I think that you can hear that, "My shepherd is the Lord." Who is your shepherd? Because everyone has a shepherd. Everyone's looking to something in life to meet their needs. It might be money, friends, job, family, the government even. We look to these things to meet our needs. But when was it that Pastor Tipton realized that he needed a shepherd? It was when all of his other shepherds had failed him, right? The doctors couldn't do anything. His money couldn't do anything. His friends and relationships, they couldn't heal the hurt in his heart. And he realized all of a sudden that I need this shepherd, that the others can't meet the needs that I have. And so the message of this psalm for God's people isn't just you have a shepherd, because everybody has a shepherd. The message of this psalm is your shepherd is the Lord. If you line up 100 people, there might be 100 shepherds represented. Everybody's looking to a different shepherd. You might be the only one in that group who's looking to the Lord to be your shepherd and to meet your needs. And when you start thinking that way, you realize what a privileged people we are. The, The Lord is our shepherd. And I think that's what David's trying to capture here for us, is the specialness of this relationship that we have. And so David, he says, my shepherd is the Lord. And then the second line of that is what's true because his shepherd is the Lord. My shepherd is the Lord, therefore what? What's he say there? He says, I shall not want. And I I don't know about you, but when we hear the word want, I think we think about the things that we want, right? You know, like I I want a new iPhone, I want a bigger house, I want the latest car. Um, You know, we we think about the things that we want, almost like a child with his Christmas list, uh, making up all the the things that he wants, right, for Christmas. Um, But listen to the way that this word want is actually used in Deuteronomy 2. I think this will help us here. It says, Moses is talking to Israel, and he says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness, these 40 years. He's talking about those years when Israel is in the wilderness. He says, Those 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. And then he says, You have lacked, and that's our word, you've lacked nothing. Now the question is, did Israel always get everything that they wanted? Like a Christmas list. No, but they always had everything that they genuinely needed in life. Listen to what uh, Moses says a little bit later in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says to Israel that he humbled you and he let you hunger. Sometimes he let them go without. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that every man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So sometimes God actually let them go without because he knew that their needs were different from what they thought their needs were. Right? What did they think they needed? They thought they needed bread. They thought they needed food. And God knew that they actually needed to learn to live by his words. You know, I worked a a marketing job 
a while back, uh, probably eight or ten years ago, and they put me through some training to learn how to be a good salesman. I, I didn't actually make calls. I wasn't one of those annoying people who calls you. I just received calls from people who were already interested, so it was a little bit easier. But as part of the training, they, they taught us that a good salesman will get, he doesn't talk about his product first. You know, the first rule of, of good salesmanship is just to shut up and listen, right? You get the other person talking about their business or whatever they're doing, um, and you, as they're talking, you listen for their perceived needs. Uh, they might think they need more advertising or more manpower or better processes or whatever, but you get them talking, and you, you listen to what their perceived needs are, and then at the end, you just show them how your product can meet those needs that they already think that they have, right? and you'll probably get a sale because they already think they need what you're offering. But that is not how it works with our shepherd. He knows what are our actual deepest needs far better than we do. And he will meet those deepest needs. And so David here is testifying that because the Lord is our shepherd, we can say that we will never lack anything that we genuinely need. We may not always have everything that we want or think that we need, but we will have everything that God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that we need. And this is what David is is really coming to us with comfort about. And I don't know, maybe this morning you've come and you you have a lot of needs. Um, Life is just such that that we hit points where we just have a lot of needs. They might be financial or emotional or, um, you know, it it could be anything. Maybe you've come in this morning and you felt like, like you just are carrying a lot of needs with you. And, and David's coming to us this morning, and he's saying, the Lord is our shepherd. We have that personal relationship, and he meets all of our genuine needs. Everything that we really need, he will provide. So the question is, what are our needs? Right? If he meets all of our genuine needs, what are our needs? Well, that's what the psalm is all about. It's like this first verse of the psalm is like a thesis. The Lord's my shepherd, so he meets all my genuine needs. And then the rest of the psalm catalogs all the needs that he meets to demonstrate that the thesis is true, that God actually does meet all of our genuine needs. And as he's talking about these needs, he's, again, he's contrasting the Lord with other shepherds who cannot meet these needs. No other shepherd can always guide us in righteous paths. No other shepherd can take away our fear in the valley of the shadow of death. No other shepherd can restore our soul. And so what we'll do this morning is just look through a couple of these needs that David tells us that our shepherd meets. And as we look at these needs, we're encouraged by what our shepherd does for us, but there's also a little bit of a corrective too, where in talking about the needs that the shepherd meets, he can fix our thinking so that we know what are our genuine needs, right? Does that make sense? I, I, think, I think that's kind of a really helpful way to think about this psalm is not just that it's to encourage us, it's also to help us understand what are our genuine needs because these are the ones that the shepherd does meet. Right? So the first need that the shepherd meets is he makes us to lie down in green pastures. David leads off with that one. And I don't know about you, but I always thought about this verse, and I'd actually preached this verse as though David was talking about uh, the Lord supplies... You know, he leads us to green pastures, that's our food. He makes us lie down beside still waters, that's our water. So he provides food and water, and I even made kind of the, the uh, application that he provides all of our physical needs. 
right? I, I kind of just thought about the verse that way. But then it, it hit me a while back that David doesn't just say he, he leads me to green pastures. What does David actually say there in verse 2? Not just he leads me to green pastures, he what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. And actually, the grammar of the verse emphasizes that phrase, makes me lie down. That's the big idea. What's, what's David talking about there with making me lie down? Well, we have this little saying that I think will help us understand. You can finish it with me. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, right? What do we mean when we say that? <laughs> we, we mean we're inherently discontent people, right? We always want what's on the other side of the fence. Why do we want it? Because it's on the other side of the fence. It's the fact that we don't have it that makes us want it, right? And, and we know that because once we get it, then we realize it's not really what we wanted after all, right? It was just the fact that we didn't have it that made us, made us want it. We're, just, we're discontent people. But David is here testifying that the Lord's sheep don't think that. They're not over at the fence looking out at other pastures and thinking, wow, I wish I was over there. No, they're so content in the pasture that the Lord's led them to that they lie down. They're at peace and at rest. This is where the Lord's led me. It's good. And I can lie down and be at rest. And I'm not pining away for, for other things. You know, we're, we're discontent people. We want the things that we that we don't have. We think those are our real needs. We think they're the things that we need to make life work. But the Lord's sheep know that their shepherd will always give them what they genuinely need, and so they lie down. They're at peace and at rest. David goes on and he says, the Lord leads me beside quiet waters. And again, I I think here the emphasis isn't on drinking You know, it's not just that the shepherd provides water for the sheep. The emphasis here is on the kind of water that he leads them to. What kind of water does does it say he leads them to? He leads them to still or quiet waters, right? And you've probably heard it explained that that sheep won't drink at fast-flowing water because, you know, if if they accidentally fall in or they get a little bit too close and fall in, what happens? Well, their, their wool absorbs the water. They go to the bottom. They'll never get back up. They'll drown. So they have this fear of fast-flowing water. They won't go near it. And David is here saying that, that on the other hand, quiet water calms the sheep. He's probably sitting, he's out in the wilderness running from Saul, possibly, and and he's probably sitting at a place called En Gedi. If you Google it, it's just, it's a beautiful place. It's just a little gently flowing waterfall and nice gently flowing stream. And he's sitting there and and he's just at peace with this gently flowing water. I remember the the house that we used to live at about four years ago. Um, down at the end of the street, there was a gently flowing stream. And sometimes when I was agitated in my spirit, I'd just go sit by the water and just just listen. And it calms you, right? That's why in the doctor's office, they have the little tinkly fountains, right? Because you're really nervous about seeing the doctor. And and the wa- that, that sound of water just calms you. And David's sitting there by this stream, and he's saying, you know, this is how the Lord leads me. This is how he leads in my life. He leads me in ways that, I'm, that I'm, I'm so content that I lie down in green pastures. And he calms my spirit and he gives me peace. So David is telling us here that the Lord is our shepherd and because he's our shepherd, all of our genuine needs will be met. What needs does he meet? Well, the first needs that David talks about are contentment and peace. 
You know, when we get in a hard time in life, we have all kinds of things that we think are our needs. We get cancer and we think we need healing. Our car breaks down, we think we need a quick and cheap repair. We lose our job, we think we need money in the bank. And we get all anxious and agitated about these things that are external, physical needs. But our shepherd comes to us and he says, I can meet your deepest needs, your genuine needs. And they're not external and physical, they're actually spiritual and in your heart. In this trial, your first and greatest needs are for contentment and peace in your soul. That's, that's your greatest needs. That's the first needs that you need to be met. And I, I think that's what David's really getting at here because then he goes on, what's the next line out of his mouth? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He what? He restores my soul. You know, we get, we get in a trial, and our greatest need is not for that trial to be over. Our greatest need is for a restored soul in the midst of that, of that trial. We need contentment, and we need peace. We get in a tight place, and what really disquiets our soul is that there's something that we don't have that we think that we need. Right? And our shepherd comes to us, and he says, I can meet your deepest needs to have a restored soul of contentment and peace. And I, I just, you know, we can ask ourselves, can any other shepherds do that? Can any other shepherds restore our soul? There's none but the Lord. And David says, he's my shepherd. <laughs> and I want to tell you about him. I want to tell you what he's done in my life. He, he makes me content. He gives me peace. He restores my soul. And what David's really trying to bring out here is that the Lord's sheep thrive and flourish under his leading in the various places that he takes them to. You know, and if we, if we think for just a little bit more deeply, uh, or just a little bit more deeply about how the shepherd gives this contentment and peace, I think there's an extra blessing here. All right, so you'll, the, the next couple things here, I, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a philosophical line of thought. So you kind of have to like, you know, like they'd say in school when I was a kid, put your thinking cap on. But there's an extra blessing here. I think if we kind of think through this together, um, you know, what is it exactly that brings the contentment and the peace for the sheep? Well, you read through the psalm and you would think that it's the green pastures that bring the contentment, that, that it's, the, that it's the, the greenness of the grass, you know, and, and you know, in our situation, we would say, basically, you know, my, my circumstances are so good and so cushy that I, I couldn't ever imagine being anywhere else. And so for that reason, um, I'm content. You know, I love this pasture so much that I wouldn't ever want to be anywhere else. And that's what brings the contentment for the, for the sheep. But I, I think it's not actually the greenness of the pasture that ultimately brings contentment and peace. Because you know, if you face it in, in hard times in life, sometimes it's, it's not green pastures. Um, you know, cancer isn't a green pasture. Losing your job isn't a green pasture. Um, the valley of the shadow of death, it's not, a, it's not a green pasture. But what is it that can give us contentment and peace, whether it's green pastures or the valley of the shadow of death? What's the theme that runs through the psalm that actually is what gives the contentment and the peace? Well, look at verse 4. He says, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even if that is where I'm at, I'm not afraid. Why? You can probably just quote the psalm, because you are with me, right? And so that is what gives 
the contentment and the peace is the presence of the shepherd. It's not that I'm in a pasture and it's so green and wonderful and lovely that I just couldn't ever think of being somewhere else. It's that I get to be with the shepherd in this pasture. It's the presence of the shepherd. You know, we, we get into hard times in life and we get discontent. And we may even say that we can't be content without having what we think are our needs. But when it comes right down to it, if we really had a choice between getting out of a trial and not having Christ or staying in the trial and having Christ, what would we choose? It's a no-brainer, right? We would choose Christ in the trial every time. And when we think that way, we realize that it is actually, it's the presence of the shepherd that is content, that, that brings contentment and peace. And I, I think the contentment and peace is found not just in trusting the Lord's leading. You know, you could say, the Lord has, has led me in this place, or led me to this, this pasture, and I can trust that he would lead me to good places, therefore, this place is good. You know, that's true. But I think that beyond that, it's, it's not just that I have contentment and peace because the shepherd led me here, and I can trust him to lead me to good places. Beyond that, it's that if he led me here, then it's here that I get to be with him. In other words, it's not just that, that I can trust him to lead me to good places. It's that ultimate goodness is being with him regardless of the place. And so there's a joy in the, the relationship with the shepherd that really transcends our circumstances. And that is where the contentment and the peace is found, is in being with the shepherd. So no matter our circumstances, this is the heart of the sheep's contentment. In other words, you know, we said the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Well, the reason that the sheep aren't over at the fence looking out at other pastures and thinking, I wish I was over there, isn't ultimately because there's no green grass over there. You know, you might have come in this morning and you're in a circumstance, and there truly are other circumstances in life that would be easier and better. But the reason that the sheep aren't looking out at other pastures and wishing they were over there isn't because there's no green grass over there. It's because there's no shepherd over there. The shepherd isn't over there. He's right here. He's where he led me, and it's here that I get to be with him. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. I was thinking about, about um, the, the song that Ron Hamilton wrote. I, it, was, it was this past week, I think, that he went home to be with the Lord. And he, he wrote so many songs that are just, they, they're, they're just right where we're at in life a lot of times, right? But he listen to what, what he wrote here. I think he's meditating on this psalm, and he says, Loving shepherd of my soul. Keep me close, I love you so. Lead me where the waters flow in your rich green pasture. Be my guide, I'm in your care. Keep, me, keep my feet from every snare. I will follow anywhere you call me to go. And in that verse, you can hear the first part of contentment, trust in the shepherd's leading. But then listen to where he goes in the chorus. He says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I will thank you, Lord. In your will, I'm content. I'll not wish for more. I will seek your kingdom first. I will trust in all that you do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I rejoice in you. That's where he's ultimately finding joy is in Christ and in, in the relationship that he has with Christ. You know, and th this really is, at, I think, the heart of our temptations. Right? When we're tempted with something... Why are we tempted? 
Well, Christ said the devil's a liar. This is his tactic. This is how he tempts us is by lying. And he lies to us by saying the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Right? He tells us that if we go over there and do that thing, we'll have more pleasure, more satisfaction, more whatever. But it is a lie. Why is it a lie? There is pleasure in sin for a season, like Hebrews says, but it's a lie because there's no shepherd over there. The shepherd is right here, and ultimate pleasure is found in being with the shepherd and in your relationship with him. And so the antidote is to enjoy the presence of the shepherd so much that the green grass over there loses its, its appeal. I'm so in love with Christ that I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And we can say then with Asaph, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. We can say, my cup runneth over. You know, can you really say that this morning? In the circumstances that the Lord's led you into, can you say, my cup runneth over? Well, David could say that not because he's in a wonderful circumstance. He's, he's really in a pretty bad circumstance on the run out in the wilderness. But he can say, my cup runneth over because the Lord is there with him. He has the presence of the shepherd. And throughout this psalm, you know, if you just look at the pronouns, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. Have you ever wondered who David's talking to when he writes these things? You know, it sounds like he's talking to somebody else and he's testifying about the shepherd, what the shepherd's done in his life. But I kind of wonder if maybe he's talking to himself. You know, he's in a circumstance where he's tempted to not think these things about the shepherd. Right? He's in a tough spot, and he's tempted to doubt these things, and it's, it's like he's preaching at himself. He's saying, my shepherd does this for me, and he's reassuring himself about these truths. In other words, this psalm is a choice. The truths about the shepherd in this psalm are truths that he's choosing to believe about the shepherd, and, and we have to choose to believe this. I have Christ and so I'm okay. And that is a choice that we make. And when we choose to be content in God, it's then that he can restore our soul. It's, it's then that he can give us contentment and peace. And I don't know, a lot of people are struggling in our world today with temptation or trial. I know, I've been there this week. And, and our souls get distraught and we get agitated when we're in that place. And Let's just listen to what Christ says in, in the book of, of Matthew. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Satan tempts us to look anywhere but Christ for rest, doesn't he? He tempts us to look at any other shepherd for rest. Christ says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. That's where it's found. He goes on and he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Does that sound like David in this psalm? Rest for your souls? Yeah, I, I think it does. And, and this is one application that we can make from this psalm this morning. That if we have agitation in our souls, there's things we think we need. That our shepherd actually meets our deepest, most genuine needs. And they're not outside of us, they're actually inside of us the needs of our heart, the needs for contentment and peace. But there's another application that I'd like to make here, kind of a little bit of a different um, 
a little bit kind of changing gears a little bit, I guess you could say. If you want to, can you turn over with me to Matthew chapter 9? We've talked about the Lord as our shepherd, and let's kind of trace that out to where that lands in the New Testament for us. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has been going around, and, and if you just look at the headings above throughout the chapter, and even in the previous chapters, he's been casting out a demon, healing a paralytic, there's miracles of healing, he's been answering questions and preaching and teaching, he's just, he's just been really, really busy. And he comes to the end of Matthew chapter 9, and it says there in verse 35, Jesus was going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, we've, we've talked this morning about the blessedness of knowing the Lord as our shepherd. But out there are, are thousands of people in Beaumont and, and you know, hundreds of thousands throughout Edmonton, and they, they don't know this shepherd. You know, and on the divine level, when Christ looks out and he says they don't have a shepherd, they, don't, they, they didn't know God as their shepherd. In, in Psalm 74, 78, 80, 95, 103, all the way through, God is called the shepherd of Israel. And these people, they didn't know their shepherd. And he's distressed about that. But on the human level, God had appointed leaders for Israel. Think back to the Old Testament. The prophets, the priests, the kings, they're called shepherds. And actually in Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, God indicts them for not leading his people rightly. And not being the kind of shepherds that his people needed. And it's actually out of that failure that came the expectation of a Messiah who would come and would shepherd God's people rightly like they needed. And it's against that backdrop of this expectation of a coming messianic shepherd that Christ comes. And he stands up one day and he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I'm good because I give my life for the sheep. Your old covenant priests and prophets and kings, they failed you. They couldn't be the shepherd that you needed, but I can be and I came to be. And it's no different today. You know, we, we look around us here in Alberta and you see people without a shepherd. They, they don't know Christ. You just go out to the mall, go shopping, look into people's faces. What do you see? You see people and they're looking to anything and everything but Christ to try to meet their needs. They're looking to money and you know, intimate relationships, education, family, jobs, friends, everything that they can think of to try to find what they're looking for, to try to have their genuine needs met, and, and they come up empty again and again. But just like in Christ's day, it's not just that on the divine level they don't know their shepherd. It's on the human level they have no shepherd to lead them as well. Actually, in, in Christ's day, it was actually the dearth of, of shepherds on the human level that was distressing Christ because he says what? The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He goes on and says that here in this passage. So he's distressed that they don't know God as their divine shepherd, but actually God has chosen 
to mediate his shepherding oftentimes through people, through men, through leaders. And it was the fact that they didn't have the right kind of human shepherds that was really distressing him. And in the New Testament, it's in that vein that God calls pastors shepherds. He says in Hebrews, or in, in 1 Peter 5, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Christ is the chief shepherd, and then he calls men to be under shepherds and to lead his people. And it was actually that dearth of under shepherds that was distressing Christ when he looked around and saw the people without a shepherd. And, and it's no different today. You, you throw a pin at a map and you hit a place where there's no good church. There's, there's no pastor shepherding the people there and pointing them to their chief shepherd. Right? And what's the solution to that? Well, Christ goes on here and what does he tell us to do? He says the people are like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. So in verse 38, what's he say to do? Therefore what? Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In Romans chapter 10, we read, we're told there that people won't call on the name of the Lord unless they believe. They won't believe unless they hear. They won't hear unless there's a preacher. And I used to stop my quotation at that point and really challenge people, go out and be a preacher. You know, go tell people about Christ, because if you don't tell them, then they won't hear, and if they don't hear, then they won't believe, and if they don't believe, then they won't be saved, right? But there's actually another question there. He goes on and he says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? And there's actually a prerequisite to under shepherds preaching the gospel, that God would send them to do it. They have to be sent and that is God's work. And so Christ is directing us here to pray that God would send out shepherds into the harvest. And God works in the hearts of men to call them to be shepherds and to shepherd his shepherdless people. And that calling is God's work. It's not something that we can do. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not something we can drum up or, or convince a person that it's true about them. It's God's work to work in their heart and to do that. And so there's one application that we can make from this psalm this morning. If we have an agitated soul over the things that we think that we need that God hasn't necessarily provided, David comes to us and he says, you can, you can rest at contentment and peace. You can rest in the fact that your shepherd will provide your genuine needs and they're inside of you, they're in your heart and he will meet those needs by his presence. But I think another application of this psalm is that as we think about the blessedness of our relationship with our shepherd, we can pray that God would send shepherds on the human level to shepherd his people and to lead people who don't know him to be, uh, to be shepherds or, or, or to lead people who don't know him to, to look to Christ as, as their shepherd. And we can pray for that. You know, do we, do we really believe that God can call men to do that? I mean, he told us to pray for it, so yes, he can, he can do that, and we can, we can pray for that. You know, would we add that to our prayer list, that God would call men, even from this assembly, from the other churches around Edmonton, uh, from the churches throughout the world, 
to go out and to point people to the chief shepherd and to shepherd God's people in churches. And I, I wonder, would you be willing to pray that for yourself? You know, if you're a man, would you pray, God, if, if you would have me to be a shepherd, would you do that work in my heart? Would you lead me in that way? You know, would, would you make me the answer to my own prayer? And particularly for the young men here. You know, I, I remember when I was just, just a little boy um, thinking, wow, I, I really would love to be a pastor someday. You know, even in a little boy's heart, God can, can put that calling and, and that, that desire. Um, and we can pray for that, that God would do that work and that God would call men into the ministry. So there's, there's kind of these two applications that we can make this morning. And maybe we can just kind of come back to the first one um, and, and land on that one. You know, have you come in this morning with agitation in your soul? I don't know about you, but this past week I've had agitation in my soul about things that I thought that I needed. And I'm, I'm sitting there all worked up because I think I need these things to make life work. And, and just even last night as I was looking over this passage and thinking about preaching it, the Lord just ministered these truths to me again um, in a really special way that, uh, that, that when I get worked up and I, I think I need something to make life work, that I need to focus my eyes on my shepherd because it's in him and in my, in my relationship with him and in, in his presence in my life that I actually find what I really need in life, that I find contentment and peace in my soul. And our shepherd comes to us this morning and, and he says, come to me, learn of me, I'm meek, I'm lowly, and, and you will find rest for your soul. So let's pray. Let's pray and, and ask the Lord to do that work in, in our hearts.